days after, approximately 50 days after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Spirit was poured out. And this is in fulfillment of the book of Joel, chapter 2, where in the Old Testament area, the Holy Spirit would come upon particular people at particular times for particular things. And then there was a general pouring out of the Spirit for all those believers that would receive it in Acts chapter 2, as is the case today. And so we thank you that you're here. We pray for a fresh anointing of your Spirit, and we would welcome that. That scares some of us, perhaps, but we would welcome what you would have to do in and through our lives and in this service. Father, just before we open your word, I think of uh, a person in our congregation, Julissa Rist, who, whose mom died last night out just north of Medicine Hat. We pray for Julissa, who's been with her mom in particular just the last little while as, as uh, the cancer that had overtaken her was uh, just coming on more and more. And so we pray for her. We know that her mom knew Jesus as Savior and Lord. We know that her mom is with you right at this moment in heaven because of that. But having said that, we know, and well, in a sense, I can't really imagine. I've never been there, but I believe you understand how Jalissa needs you, how you need to be there for her, and I pray that you would be. Now, as we look into your word, we pray for you to just speak to us in very personal and clear terms, and we ask these things and pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Not this, but that. In the passage we're about to read here in just a moment, you're going to see this idea three different times very clearly. Not this, but that. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And 1 Peter is found over towards the back of your Bible. And uh, if you at the book of James, it's just past that. If you come to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And we're just moving through this book together. Um, and so I'd like to read to you now from 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter is writing, and he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So we're going to be talking about biblical eldership today. And this is a big subject, and we cannot cover it all today. It's, it's found, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in, in the book of Titus as well, and, and smattered throughout the book of Acts and stuff like that. And so we're going to be looking at these four verses and, and some things that speak into that as well. So we can't cover it all, but we're going to cover what we can. Not this, but that. And this is number seven in a series of eight messages as we're working through uh, the book of 1 Peter. We know that that this book written by Peter uh, was written around between the time of 64 and 68 AD. This is what the best scholars would suggest to us. 
We know that this is a time in the history of the church of intense persecution. And the persecution would come in waves. Um, uh, you know, we talked about this in previous weeks. Uh, some, some, sometimes and in some parts of the earth, it's extremely intense. Like right now, there are places in the earth that are going through the kind of persecution that's perhaps unprecedented in all of human history. Here in North America, it's minor by comparison, but we definitely see it growing and the potential for it to continue to grow as we see increased evidence of this. At the time of this writing, it was a time of intense persecution in the church. Nero is the emperor in Rome, and he hates the Christ ones, as they were called, the followers of Jesus, later to be known as the Christians. And life is very difficult for the church, and in particular, it's difficult for the leaders of the church. And so just from those opening verses there, those four verses in 1 Peter chapter 4, in chapter 5 rather, I'm going to make just three basic observations that you're going to say, they, they seem very straightforward, but we forget these things sometimes. And, and the first observation I would make is that the, the church had elders, the church had elders. This is the way that it was done in the New Testament era. That's the way that we're invited to do it uh, even to this day. We see evidence of this back in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. So he's writing to a large grouping of biblical believers, strangers in the world. We talked about this last week. Um, C.S. Lewis pictures it this way, that even when you're at home, you're homesick. That even though when I'm at 310 Silkstone Cove, I'm still homesick. And in other places in Scripture, we're talked about as being aliens or strangers. And the idea is that when you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're permanent residency is now in heaven. And so even though you're home, you're still homesick. You're longing for the kind of relationship that we see all through Scripture with God, for the deepening of that and the fulfillment of that. And so Peter is writing, he says, to God's elect strangers in this world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is a huge geographic area. And so he is writing to dozens, if not hundreds of churches in that area. And what would happen is, is the, he would write a letter and it would go to one church and because many in the church would have been illiterate at that time, they would read the letter from stem to stern over and over and over again and they would discuss it at length, each element of it. And after they had done this many times, and until it was sort of deeply impregnated in their mind so that they could carry on this oral tradition. Then the letter would go to the next church and they would do the same thing. And so it was traveling through this large geographic area, these instructions and these, that would eventually end up in the, the canon of Scripture. And so Peter is addressing all of these churches and he's saying, listen, um, as we see in other places in the New Testament, elders are the normal way in the church. Elders were seen, we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, as shepherds. They were to shepherd God's flock. This is a very deliberate choice of words that Peter's making, something we need to take note of. They are shepherds of God's flock. And he's saying, make no mistake about it. The biblical believers, God's elect, that's referenced there in chapter 1 verse 1, they belong to the living Christ. 
They don't belong to the elders or the pastors or anyone else. And so, for example, in our church and probably in many other Bible-believing churches, we will often pray like this. We will pray, Lord, we understand very clearly this is not the elders' church. This is not the pastor's church. And it's certainly not my church as the lead pastor. We understand very clearly that this is your church. And once we get this very clearly in mind, then we are told as elders to shepherd God's flock, to give oversight to that flock, to lead it, to direct it, to protect it. And this comes directly from Jesus. Jesus in dialogue with Peter, he's talking to him three times about this imagery. But in John chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus says to him, Peter, I want you to shepherd my sheep. My sheep. I want you to shepherd my sheep. Very important to fix this idea in our mind. Not our sheep, not the elder's sheep, not the pastor's sheep, not the lead pastor's sheep. Jesus' sheep. Peter, go and shepherd my sheep. Then in Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uses the exact same word in the same tense as in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, when he uses the word shepherd. It's the exact same word. And he's saying elders in Acts chapter 20, elders shepherd the flock. And the end of the verse, which we're going to read in just a couple of minutes, says, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. And so this idea of whose church and who the believers in that church belong to is spoken about over and over again in the Bible. This is Jesus' church for whom he shed his blood and purchased our lives with his blood. Once we get this clearly in mind, it helps us in the context of this passage. And in light of that then, elders are charged in verse 2 with oversight. Watch over it. Be and serve as an overseer. Look out over the flock. And so Jesus is saying, God is saying to us, you're going to be held accountable, elders, for the big picture. And so the elders in our church are encouraged to be very clear about the picture at the 30,000-foot level, to be prayerfully discerning the Father's heart for this church, to seeking His will, His direction, His message for this church, looking primarily for the what and the why. The how is, is really placed in the hands of the staff to go and then work with the people as we try to do the how. They focus primarily as elders on the why and the what. I think it's also important to take a couple of minutes to talk about how an elder gets put in place because I think there's a lot of confusion about this. And it's primarily because we are blessed, and I really mean that, blessed to live in a democratic society. There's incredible blessings that attach when you can vote for those that represent you in political office. And there's freedom to vote as you want and to express yourself politically. This is an incredible blessing that we have here in our society. The one problem in the church is that we try to project that kind of thinking onto the elders and how they're put into place and what their role is to be. So we think... And we're tempted to think because of our political system 
that we are to vote and that they are there as elders to represent us as people. And again, voting is a good thing. Listening to people in church as an elder is a very good thing, but that's not really how they're put in place, and that's certainly not their primary role. There's nowhere in the scripture where elders were voted on. That's just a methodology. In Acts chapter 1, they cast lots to determine who the elders were going to be. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, in in Titus chapter 1, um, we know that um, the leaders would select people and appoint them. There was no voting. We know over on the mission field on the other side of the world, even to this day, there's places where they use chops. They pray, and then they use chopsticks. Just different methodologies. How are they actually put in place? They are put in place by divine appointment. And we see a couple of examples of this in Acts chapter 1 and in chapter 20. I'm going to read them to you. Acts chapter 1, where they're looking to replace one of the leadership team as Judas has gone a different way. So in Acts, if you were on to read from verse 21 to 26, you could, but I'm just going to read 24 to 26 in Acts chapter 1. Listen to this. It says, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. Lord, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Then let's go over to chapter 20, and we see a very similar uh, wording. I'm going to actually read verses 27 to 31. And, and even though Luke writes the book of Acts, this is about P, uh, Paul speaking here. So he says in verse 27, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So here we're talking about the will of God. He says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds. That's that word shepherd that we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Be shepherds of the church of God, which Jesus bought with his own blood. Because the church and believers in the church believe to the, belong to the living Christ. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. So how does this work? Somebody's going, well, why do we bother voting? We vote. When we vote, we're simply affirming what God has already decided. And even though elders are invited and encouraged to listen to the people, this is not their primary role. Their primary role is to live a holy life a surrendered life, and to say, God, what would you have us do? To hear very clearly from him what his desire and his will is, and then to move very deliberately and forcefully towards that. That is their primary calling, their primary uh, role. And this is a significant responsibility. 
It's a big-time responsibility. We're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, again, to protect the flock. It actually says, obey your leaders in that verse because they are men who will give an account. This is a big responsibility. On judgment day, there will be a, a special accounting, in a sense, for those that have been given this place of leadership and oversight. We see this as well very clearly in our text in chapter 5, verse 4, when it says, when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the crown of glory if there's been acceptable ministry. And we're going to get to that in a moment. There will be an accounting for the chief shepherd. So we vote because we're seeking to affirm and acknowledge God's divine appointment of this person. We listen as elders. This is important to do, to hear people, because God will often speak through people and gives them spiritual gifts to do that. But ultimately and primarily, we're looking to hear directly from God, what would you have us do? And even and especially when it's unpopular, you move in that direction when you know this is what God would have you do. So I'm going to stop here for a moment, and I want to charge you with something. You need to be praying for the elders of this church by name. If you're not sure who they are, we've had them up here on the platform and stuff. There's a picture of them in the lobby with all of their names underneath. I encourage you to be praying for them by name. Pray for their marriages. Pray for their role as a dad and as a grandparent in some case. Pray for the gifting God has put in their life. Pray that they will take their role very seriously, that they will be filled with the Spirit, that they would live these truths out in a way that when they give an account, it, you know, God will say, this was a person after God's own heart. Pray for these people as people who will give an account. Cheer them on. Encourage them. Help support them. And be there for them in this role. You know, when I read this passage, it's so clear to me just the transformative work that God has done in the life of Peter. If you know anything about the life of Peter, you know he was just a work in progress. You know, he gave his life to Christ, but then he was just a work in progress. And he was willing to learn. He was willing to repent when he blew it. And we all know that he blew it big time at at least a couple of points that are recorded in Scripture. But he was willing to learn. He was willing to repent. He was willing to be shaped. And one of the reasons I know there's just this ongoing work in his life is the evidence we see of this in verse 1. He says in verse 1, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. This is an extremely humble statement by Peter. Think about this with me. Some people would say, well, couldn't he have just ordered these elders scattered all through Bithynia and, and Cappadocia and Asia, these dozens and dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of churches with elders in leadership over them? Couldn't he have just ordered all of these guys based on the fact that he was one of the 12 original apostles, based on the fact that not only was he in the 12, he was actually in the inner three the smaller group in the midst of the bigger group of 12, and that he went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, one of three people there with Christ. 
Couldn't he have, based on those things, ordered these guys? He did not do that. Instead, he very humbly says to them, he doesn't pull out the apostle card. He certainly doesn't pull out some kind of pope card. He says this to them, I'm a fellow elder. I know what it means to suffer for my faith, just like you do. When I read that verse, I thought of my friends Doug and Julie. Doug and Julie um, had to return from the mission field, but they were international because of health reasons. They were international workers in Russia for a number of years. And I don't know if they still do this in Russia, because they told me this about eight years, ten years ago. But what they always used to do in Russia is when they would ordain someone, when someone would get rev, become a reverend and get all revved up or whatever, they would bring the husband and wife onto the platform if they were married. And as they were going through the ordination process, one of the things they did, one of the first things they did, is they would turn to the wife and they would say something like this to her. If the persecution like we experienced before 1989 comes back, and it may well come back, do you accept the fact that your husband will be the first one taken by the secret police? Serious stuff. So Peter says, I get it. I'm a fellow elder just like you. I'm in this with you all the way. Tradition tells us that Peter... We don't know this for fact, but tradition tells us that Peter, when he was martyred for his faith, requested that he be, they're going to crucify him, he requested that he would be crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was, didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified right side up like Jesus was. So he says, I'm a fellow elder. I get it. Verse 4, I'm longing for and waiting for the parousia. That's just a fancy way of saying Christ's return in verse 4. I'm waiting for the chief shepherd's return. I'm waiting for his glory to be revealed just like you are. And so in light of all of this, I appeal to you. Be shepherds of God's flock who are under your care of to whom and for whom you will give an account as an overseer. And when we couple this with, this, with, with the corresponding idea in Acts chapter 20, when the same word is used there in verse 28 of shepherd, these guys are told to have a penetrating courage to be vigilant for the spiritual vitality of the congregation, for its overall health, and for the welfare of the flock. And Peter illustrates this to them through this extremely humble leadership attitude. I am a fellow suffering elder, just like you. So after these basic observations and yet profound commands in verses 2 and 3, he goes through three sets of contrast to sort of expand the ideas a little bit. And this is where this, not this, but that comes in. But it's important to understand all the stuff I just said first before we come to the contrast. So in verse 2 he says, not because you must, 
but because you are willing. Not because you must, but because you are willing. And then the last part of the verse says, as God wants you to be. So he's saying, you don't want to be in this role because you were coerced into it, because you were manipulated into it, because you stepped into it under pressure, and certainly not because there was no one else to do it. So won't you please do it because we have to fill a slot in the church. Better to have less than to do it like that. All through Scripture, it says, as God wants you to be, all through Scripture, there's this reoccurring idea. God likes to work with willing people. God wants to work with people that are not in any sense being coerced into it. He wants to work with people who willingly bow the knee, who willingly accept the gift of grace that Christ has given to them, who willingly accept the gifts that God has sown into their life and willingly uses them and understands the importance of using those gifts, that they must be done in the power of the Spirit, who willingly gives sacrificially, that doesn't give because they were tricked into giving or pressured into giving, but they give as an act of love and an act of trust. And so you don't push yourself into this position of being an elder. This is kind of what he's getting at. I remember years ago, I don't remember how many years ago, but more than 10 years ago, some guy, and I don't remember his name, and uh, he left very shortly after he and I talked, one of the first times he'd been here, like three weeks, moved from somewhere in northern Alberta, and he comes to me and he says, how do I get onto the elders board here? And it was not a noble request, trust me. And so I said to him very gently but very firmly, that's not how it works, brother. That's not how it works. 1 Timothy 3 encourages people to serve, but not in a way where they're trying to twist things to get in there. Then he says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve in the latter part of verse 2. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Um, In the early church, elders were often compensated for their role in the early church. We see them being paid and referring, it's, it's, it's referred to in Matthew 10, verse 10, and 1 Corinthians 9 in the opening verses of that, and certainly in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. They were also, not only were many of them paid, but they were put in charge of the funds of the church. We read about this in Acts chapter 4. We're told that people in the church would were selling pieces of property or or, or buildings, and they would come and they would lay the funds, it says there, at the feet of the apostles and the leaders. And these guys would use this to do ministry in and through the church. And so Peter is saying, listen, in all this wide expanse of churches, I've taken note of the fact that some of you have got this all wrong. Some of you are thinking, I'm willing to risk the potential hardship of suffering that the book references numerous times because they were somehow, these, they had this warped idea that the church was like a business that they could cash in on for dishonest gain. And Peter's going, how could you think like that? This role is all about serving. It has the image of the basin and the towel attached. And there will be no reward for people in this role that have this kind of mindset. So for example, in our church, We just have a number of safeguards in place. Um, At least two, if not more than that, people always count any offering that comes in. 
At least two people sign all the checks. Pastors can't sign checks. They have no idea what people give. In fact, there's only two people that are deeply trustworthy people that don't talk to anybody else about it, don't talk to their spouse about it, that know what is given through the people in this church. And they don't know what those people might give outside the church. There's only two people that know. And they're very carefully selected. We don't let people use the mailboxes for business purposes or things like that. We try to go out of our way to be careful about this. Then Peter says, not in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And he's saying again, in all this wide expanse of churches, there's some of you that are in it for totally the wrong reason. You think it's about power. You think it's about control. It's, you think it's, you've got this warped idea, it's about getting your way. And you want to be there because you want to be up front, you want the light on you, you want the best seats in the synagogue, you want things your way. You don't understand at all. And Peter's saying, don't ever put elders in place who misuse their power like that. Instead, he's saying, watch their example. You can't do this quickly. You watch them over time. You watch them over time. And see how they handle it. Are they serving in the Jesus way? Or are they serving in the way that sometimes we see in the secular culture? You know what? What's the Jesus way of leadership? Let me read to you from Mark chapter 10. Because Jesus would often say, follow me as an example. So he says in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45, he says, Jesus called the 12 together. He called them together and he said this, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So in other words, they use their power to push people around. That's code word for that. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. There's that imagery again we see in 1 Peter chapter 5. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Very different than some people think about when it comes to this position of overseer. So we looked at those three contrasts of not this, but that. And then there's one more in verse 4. And that one might be described this way, not now, but then. First of all, not this, but that. Not now, but then. In verse 4, let me read it to you again. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Not now, but then. And there's this concept that I refer to from time to time all through Scripture of the already but not yet, that that positionally in Christ it's a done deal, and yet we're still living life out in in a process-type manner. And so this is what's going on here. 
So at the parousia, which is just a fancy word for the second coming of Christ, when the chief shepherd appears, we, and there's the imagery here, is that when the chief shepherd appears, it'll be very apparent to us that we are the under-shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears, when he appears for ministry done properly, there will be a reward. And when Jesus appears, he will pay his under-shepherds. The word receive there in verse 4 is often used for receiving pay or wages. And so he's not saying that the elders are going to get cash or gold or silver, not something as um, temporary and shallow as that. He's saying you're going to receive a crown that never withers. And instantly the crowd would have, uh, this would have resonated with the crown because uh, with the crowd, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, when they would have sporting events that they knew about, they knew that the winner of the sporting events would be given a type of, uh, uh, of crown that had material, it was made of materials that were temporary, that could fade or even wither and die, because sometimes they were made out of branches and leaves and things like that. And he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you're not going to receive a crown that fades away or tarnishes or gets chipped or even dies, you're going to receive a crown that will never fade, that never goes away. The elders who have served this kind of way will receive a crown of glory that will never fail. One of the great strengths of this church has been and continues to be the elders' board. We are incredibly privileged in this church, trust me. I've been a pastor for a long time. We are blessed as a church to have godly leaders. And they serve in all kinds of ways. Sometimes you see them doing stuff in front, in front but mostly it's behind the scenes where nobody sees. And we are blessed to have godly leaders. And as I conclude, I want to remind you and I want to call on you to pray for them by name. Get their names off that picture. Pray that they lead a holy life. I was taught this once, the most important gift you give your people is a holy life. Pray that they would lead a holy life. Pray for their marriages. Pray for their role as, as, a, as a parent, as a grandparent in some cases. Pray that they would use their gifts. Pray that they would be encouraged and supported and then support them and bless them with your mouth. Not now, but then. That's right. We're going to conclude in prayer. I forgot. So let's, uh, let's bow together in prayer um, as we get ready to go. And just before I pray, I just want to remind you that next week we're going to be having a healing service. We do this um, two or three times a year. And uh, there'll be stations up here around the church where you can come and be prayed for for anything. You can come on behalf of someone, which we see pictured in Scripture as well. And so we encourage you to just be preparing and saying, Lord, uh, is there anything in my life you want to deal with before I come next, uh, next Sunday? And, and what we will ask you, what do you want or need from God? And we'll invite you to be as specific as possible. And then we will pray very specifically for that. 
So just be preparing your heart for that for next week. Um, also, when after I'm done praying, if you'd like to pray with someone, Ron and Sharon, I saw them just move up to my right, your left here. Uh, they lead our prayer ministry here in the church. They'd be honored to pray with you about anything, okay? So let's conclude in prayer. You know, Father, there's just these different themes in the book. And one is there's just some really encouraging statements. There's some uh, scary things that we read about, and that's just being honest. Some of it scares us a little bit, maybe. But there's just some deep challenges as well. And so, Father, I thank you that you've put godly leaders in place in this church. And I pray, as we just mentioned earlier, would you just give them a fresh anointing of your spirit? There's no way they can do this stuff in their own strength. Not a chance. But I pray that they would be deeply surrendered to you, filled with your spirit, lead a holy life. Be a great spouse that gives themselves up for their loved one and, and, and models well the things of God before their kids and grandkids, as the case may be. And may they live for you because that will just bless our church and bless our community in such cool ways. And so, Lord, would you help us to that end? We thank you for these things and we pray them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're dismissed. What? Right. Right. Good morning. Hello. Good to have you here. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Good to have you here, Matt. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to have you here. Good morning. Yeah.